Welcome to Near-Death Experience Podcast, the official source of audio accounts for the Near-Death Experience Research Foundation. I'm Chaz Hathaway, author of Life in the Spirit World, What Near-Death Experiences May Teach About Life on the Other Side. Today we're going to share a few uh, experiences, at least a couple I should say, maybe three, depending on how much time we spend talking about the experiences, because we've got some short ones that are worth sharing. We're going to start out with one by Mosher. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Mosher, Mosher, something like that. Um, from enderf.org, Mosher says, I was three weeks overdue for my baby and given one cubic centimeter of a drug which did not work in inducing labor. The next day, they upped it to one and a half cubic centimeters, and within 10 minutes, I was in terrible labor. I was rushed to the emergency room, and from then on, all I can recall is as follows. Rushing down or up a passageway of sound and lights, finally coming to the end of the passage, to the light, where I was met by three beautiful people who informed me that they had come to help me over. Behind them, I could see great beauty, glorious flowers, and green pastures. I replied that I could not go there, in there. I could not go in there. They smiled and said that everybody came there, to which I replied, even me? If that is the case, I must go back and tell everyone, to which they smiled and said, but no one will believe you. My answer was, oh yes, they will. My husband was in the Air Force officer, was an Air Force officer, so I got lucky, and a bishop came to visit me. I told him of my experience, and to my utter amazement, all he did was smile and tell me that I had been under drugs and that this was all imagination. After that, I gave up trying to tell people. So you see, my wonderful friends in white, in white were right. They did not believe me. Nowadays, it is different. People are more ready to listen. That's the end of the experience. To which I respond, yes, they are. Yes, we are. We absolutely believe you. And beautiful. I mean, you know, she, she's, she goes to this place and she's, she sees these beautiful, glorious flowers and green pastures in the distance. And she says, oh, I can't go there. She didn't think it she didn't earn it, doesn't deserve it, whatever. And they say, everybody comes here. And they're like, even me? And they're like, wow, if that's the case, I want to go back and tell everyone. And they're, okay, but they won't believe you, you know. Oh, they will, they will, you know. And uh, come back and first response was, yeah, you were under a lot of drugs. So, you know, it was your imagination. And she's, ah, you know, <laughs> but, but uh, we're believing you now, Mosher. So no, don't fret. The next one, also from enderf.org, is Barry, who says, Later when someone asked me, before the memories of the accident returned clearly, what time of day it was when the accident occurred, I told them and I thought I w it was during the day because I was in a bubble of what appeared to be sunlight. It was only later that I recalled that I had left Denny's just before 9 p.m. I remained conscious until I was in the emergency room. I was unconscious for the next day and a half, only awakening once when I realized that I was suffocating to death. I was immediately taken up into a black void where I began to see what I somehow instinctively knew were beings that had once been human. 
They were all composed of a condensed group of rainbow-colored lights, but nothing that in any way appeared human. I could feel their thoughts like a cool breeze passing right through me. My own identity appeared to be also composed of light. I noticed that my light had the ability to reach anywhere I wanted, and whatever beam of light consciousness I chose to direct my attention to, I could instantly travel down. I did this and found myself in a floral shop. What I found extremely fascinating was that I was able to experience all of the flowers simultaneously, and that no matter where I went, I was always at the center of everything. That's the end of the experience. And I would give that a one or a two on the detail scale, because heavens, I want to hear more. <laughs> Barry obviously had an incredible experience. This connection with the flowers? What? I want to hear this. But uh, we get what he left us. So, <laughs> But uh, there's another thing that I find interesting in this, and that's that um, uh, this bubble of light, what appeared to be sunlight, I'm noticing a pattern of this. When a person dies, the darkness around them on the earth, like if it's in the middle of the night, maybe they're laying in bed, when they stop breathing, you know, sleep uh, apnea or whatever, and, and they stop breathing and they leave their body, they can see, for one thing, they don't need their glasses, which I think, I think we can understand a little bit, but also they can see in the darkness just fine. In fact, some of them, like this one, mistake the uh, ability to see for daylight, which tells me they can see really well. They can see just fine. And, uh, and I find that interesting. Also, um, the rainbow-colored lights that are people. And I'm going to uh, come back to this, I, and I'm hesitant to do so because it's, again, my own ideas of what may be going on, not something that we have that I have seen in any, you know, detailed study way, but it seems that um, this is an example of what I would call the conscious intelligence form. Um, and, uh, you know, you've got the spirit body form where people look human and they can hug and they can touch each other and they can feel and sense each other. But there's also that, uh, that, form where there is either no form at all where you a person looks down and don't see anything um, of a body even though they're standing in light or they see a, a light just a light as if they're a glowing ball or orb or whatever and uh, seeing this condensed group of rainbow colored lights sounds like they're looking at these conscious intelligent beings who uh, from what uh, Barry says they, he instinctively knows that they were once human or once lived on this earth and now they're not living on earth anymore. They're in the spirit world and they are in this form of condensed rainbow-colored lights. I would consider that being in the conscious intelligence or conscious, conscious intelligent form. And um, he says, I could feel their thoughts like a cool breeze passing right through me. That's so cool. And I'm guessing that he also is in this conscious, intelligent form because he says, my own identity appeared also, 
but to also be composed of light. Now he's not, uh, um, he doesn't specify whether it's like his physical body shape, but but made of light, or whether he says that he is, or if, whether he's meaning that he is just this, you know, light, dot of light shining brightly or whatever. Um, he doesn't seem to specify, but I gather that that's what's going on, especially as he describes um, having the ability to reach anywhere he wanted, and whatever beam of light consciousness I chose to direct my attention to, I could instantly travel down. So cool. He goes into a flower shop, and he was instantly one with all the flowers. He, he, he was able to experience all of the flowers simultaneously. And that no matter where he was, he was always at the center of everything. I'm not sure what to make of that, because isn't that our everyday experience? Wherever you are, you're at the center of everything. Does that mean that everything gave him attention as if he was the center of attention? Or does he mean that it was as if the world itself was moving <coughs> to uh, accommodate where he wanted to be? Um, you know, a sensation of that would imply uh, a lack of, of um, inertial feeling, meaning that, you know, there's these perfect inertial dampeners of sorts <laughs> that are making it so that wherever he was, it felt like the world was moving to get to that point. Which, if you think about it, though, would not actually be any much different. <clears throat> there might be a lack of, you know, velocity sensation, but there would still be wind or whatever. But anyway, <laughs> so um, so this sense of being at the center of everything. I'd, I'd like to find more about that. That's very interesting. Let's do one more. This is Wayne. Wayne says... I was a young, tough guy years ago. Another life, it seems. I was in northern Ontario looking for work in the mines when I happened to get into a scuffle with another young, tough guy. I fell and hit my head, the temple, on the corner of a metal waste container on my way to the floor. I was on my hands and knees looking at the blood streaming from my skull into a pool on the tiles. I looked up and saw that I was no longer in the room I had been in. I was outside in a beautiful setting, rolling hills, trees, birds singing in the sky. I was surrounded by a large group of beings. They were in a circle around me, observing me as I kneeled before them. There appeared to be order to their positions. The younger-looking ones were in the front, closest to me, the older behind peering over the heads and shoulders of the ones in front of them. All of them wore white robes and were hairless or bald. They were communicating with each other, with their minds, and I could hear their thoughts in my mind very, very clearly. The younger ones were asking of the older ones, Is he ready? Is he coming? Should we help him? Is he ready? Is he coming? Should we help him? The older ones simply stated, Wait. Be patient. Wait. Keep in mind, at this time in my life, I was not spiritually involved or religious in any way. I was a tough guy, and I felt and was proud that I walked alone. I shook my head and found myself back in the room, bleeding profusely from the cut. My opponent helped me to my feet and took me to be stitched up. 
This vision was a profound and powerful event in my life, as you can imagine. It was some time ago, over 30 years ago, that, and there was not much talk those days about near-death experiences, so I kept quiet about it, pondered it, absorbed it, and eventually found myself renewed by it. I was not on drugs either, so it was not a drug-induced hallucination. This event occurred. It was real, and I have no doubt of its authenticity. I have been given a gift in this seeing and can tell you all with complete confidence, you are not alone, ever, and there is no death. Rejoice, be well, love. That's the end of the experience. I like this. I like this because he finds himself in the midst of these beings of different ages, which is interesting. I don't know if these ages are portrayed uh, as a symbolic representation of wisdom and, uh, you know, ageless spirits. You know, they obviously uh, don't have age in one sense, but you've got age in the sense of those who have come to earth versus those who haven't been to earth. There's a wisdom about those who have been here, and perhaps there's, you know, that's that reflects in something of an appearance of age uh, in this case. I'm not sure, but um, it's interesting. And they're communicating with each other. I'm almost under the impression that the older ones are kind of guiding the uh, younger ones and kind of being like... Uh, uh, mentors to them and the younger ones are like should we help him is he ready is he coming you know and, and they're like just wait be patient and uh, and then he ends up going back and so clearly their further assistance in this experience is no longer necessary however from his words uh, later from Wayne's uh, description he he says we are not alone ever we are never alone and also there is no death um, we're left to think that probably these beings are with him still, or were with him um, after long after the experience, um, just out of sight. And it's interesting, he says too, that he's been given a gift in seeing this, that uh, he can say in complete confidence that you're never alone and there is no death. You know, you think about the after effects of near-death experiences, they kind of get a little bit of the limelight when it comes to what comes out of it in terms of the personality of the individual and in terms of the thoughts and feelings of the individual who had the experience when you think about the uh, genuine lack of fear of death and the genuine uh, confidence that you're never alone if it is a genuine real confidence that is that is not something to be taken lightly that is powerful it's incredible because what it's uh, what it does is it opens the heart to be able to live without fear. Because if there's no death, really, then what is there to be afraid of? It's the number one fear on this earth, you know, next to maybe uh, public speaking. Which, if you experience it enough, even that fear goes away, you know. And, and most fears are are rooted in death. You know, the fear that this could kill me, you know, such as the fear of heights. You know, if heights were completely and utterly, you know, harmless, uh, 
if they were genuinely harmless, then there would be considerably less potency to that fear of heights. If, and we'd be able to experience them without the you know, debilitating um, agony that comes of the fear that comes with it, because there's no fear of death. And again, you know, fear of, of snakes or of wolves or whatever, most of that comes in the fear of being killed by them or severely injured by them, which is a legitimate fear still, pain for a lot of people. But from what we see from these kinds of experiences, you know, the, the pain that precedes death is usually very short and just a, a moment of ow, 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 and then gone, you know? <laughs> and, uh, and so it's the coming back that uh, people seem to experience the most suffering, which most of us will not come back. So, you know, just statistically speaking, most people don't experience near-death experiences, and it's only those who do who come back and therefore experience pain. Of course, if you were to talk to people who, who had nearly dying experiences and wake up from, you know, coma or whatever, uh, they may be able to say they experienced that pain and so forth. Rest assured from these experiences, we can say that the experience of that kind of pain is worse than what you will have at the moment of death. So what I gather from this is that there really isn't any reason to fear death. I guess you could say there, there could be a fear of dying before fulfilling your purpose. I think there that could be a legitimate concern. Probably not fear, but a concern. And, uh, and that's something that we should all be trying to fulfill our purpose here on earth and show kindness and love and seek for spiritual things because in doing so, we can be better guided in our life experiences and better guided toward our life purpose. Anyway, if you would like to financially support the podcast, you can do that by either purchasing the book uh, Life in the Spirit World or by going to patreon.com slash ndecast and becoming an ongoing monthly contributor, at which time you will have access to the uh, extra once a week episode of the show. You can also contact the podcast, all of you, by either sharing a comment or asking a question or sharing your own near-death experience by emailing neardeathexperiencepodcast at gmail.com or by calling 970-NDE-CAST. And once again, thanks you guys, all of you, so much for listening.